Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is the 20th day of July of this year of our Lord, 2023. I hope that things are going well for you. I have surgery today. I'm going to be ministering to a couple of folks with my hands and prayers for Damon and I and Alan, Kristen, and the whole team that we will deliver some high-quality health care here in Nebraska for these folks today and get them back on their feet. Um, boy, we've had a lot of fun since the book launch. Uh, hope is the First Dose, of course, came into the world two days ago. It's two days old, and you can get Hope is the First Dose, a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things anywhere books are sold. Don't forget to support your local booksellers. We have all kinds of special announcements, uh, things that are coming up. We have uh, one that I want to put on your radar on the 7th of September, we have a live event that all of you, everybody listening here, can participate in. It's going to be an online, live, one-hour conversation with me and Max Lucado um, from San Antonio, and we are super excited about that. So more details to come. You'll be able to get on a link. It's a Zoom-hosted one-hour webinar that Max and I will be talking about hope and pain and faith and doubt and how to get back to your feet when when things are hard and and of course there's no more trusted voice uh, in how we get back on our feet than max lucado uh, in the current world and he's been so gracious to not only endorse the book but to spend this time with me on september 7th lots of stuff happening with the book to bring you some hope that you need today i'm going to give you a throwback episode because several of the interviews that I've done so far about the book want to talk about this concept that you and I have talked about numerous times about hope being the first dose. I give you a treatment plan. Hope is the first dose. And the key components of hope are memory and movement. So what does that mean? People are asking me, what do you mean by memory and movement? What does that mean? And how do you break down how people can reliably find a way back to hope? I'm going to give you that back here this morning. We had a good talk about it on the podcast not too long ago. So I'm going to give you that back, including a song from Tommy Walker, Jesus, You're the Answer. Um, a tremendous song to help us kind of figure out what are we really longing for when we're searching and hurting. And so there's a good song from my friend Tommy coming up at the end of that. And I'm going to let you get after it. We have a great day coming up and praying for you. I hope you're praying for us. Please pray that people will find and discover the healing message of hope in Hope is the First Dose and do everything you can. Let's see you posted on social media. We saw Sarah from Florida yesterday posting her book and numerous other people getting out there posting pictures of the book. Um, if you find it in a bookstore, I'd love a picture of where you are and, and finding the, the book in a bookstore somewhere. So do that and let's uh, get the word out, okay? The best way to help people find hope is to become a passionate supporter of the message. If you think the book is helpful, do your part to share it with other people. This is launch week, so we're talking about the book a whole lot. That'll calm down as time goes on. But I just need you to help get the word out because there is a treatment plan for recovering from trauma and tragedy and other massive things. And hope is the first dose, my friend. And don't forget, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is, you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. 
Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. How do we navigate that path to always land on hope, even though all this dark stuff is still out there? And I just want to remind you that I am here. One of the reasons I'm here, as I told you back in Infinitely Happier Part 1, is I want to be the guy who reminds you that there's always a good word. There's always something good out there. Keep you focused on that because it's it's seeing where God, the things that God has for you that allows you to take hope and choose hope even in a world where hopelessness seems to always be lurking about. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So that's why I'm here, folks. You want to know why Lee Warren gets up early in the morning before work and writes and podcasts and talks to you? It's because I feel like somebody needs to be there with a good word. And I just want you to not be as anxious. I want you to remember that even when it's hard, there's options. You don't have to choose to let it feel hard. And today's good word is that hope is a verb. Hope is an action word. There's two consistent things about biblical examples of when people feel hopeless. There's two things that happen, and I'm going to show you a few of them today. We've talked about some of them before. But what those people do next when they feel hopeless makes all the difference in whether or not they end up being able to navigate through the situation and find God's love and find hope and get through the situation or whether they give up and crash in despair. Just like in my book, there was people that have, that move in different directions. The arc of those curves move in different directions depending on what happens next when they face hopelessness. And I just want today to show you a few examples of how hope is a verb. It is an action word. It is not time to sit down and do nothing when you're faced with a seemingly hopeless situation. There's two things that are always consistent with hope. There's movement and there's memory. There is action. There's a choice made. Remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? We've talked about this before, but that opening scene when they're attacking the beach on D-Day, they come up the beach, they're under withering fire from the enemy, they're in real trouble, and they get pinned down. And the captain, who's played by Tom Hanks, realizes that they've got to move forward. It's it's illogical, but they can't go backwards because there's ocean back there, and they can't sit where they are because the Germans are zeroing in on their position. And if they stay still, they're all going to die. And their only hope is to take action, to run forward into the fight, keep moving or die. Today, we're going to relook at three times in the Bible when people had to engage movement and memory, the verb of hope, when they had to engage movement and memory to fight for hope. You have to fight for hope, friend, because life doesn't always make it easy. We're going to learn today how hope is a verb. It's an action word. Okay. This is going to be kind of a short episode, but I want to share three things with you. We've talked about these three before, but there's three people in the Bible that give us examples of what to do when you're feeling hopeless. Start with Psalm 77. There's a guy named Asaph. 
and old Asaph is having a pretty hard time here. I'm just going to read what he's what he's saying, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Here's Asaph, Psalm 77. I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you. I love this. So he's in the middle of this pity party, right? He's, he's reminding himself how hosed he is. He's, um, everything is, is over. I'm done for. God's forgotten me. All is lost. Things are as bad as they can get. I'm resigned to my fate. I'm done for. This is my fate, he says in verse 10. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then look what happens. He makes a decision. I recall, he said, verse 11, but then, I recall all you have done, O Lord. So he says to himself, hey, time out, stop. Get off this train of catastrophe. Get off this worst case scenario ride that you're on and just remember for a second, you've been here before. You've been through hard things. God's always come through. And then he comes down to this, verse 13. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? I wrote about in my book, I've seen the interview. There's a quote from Oswald Chambers. He's one of my favorite old writers. And Oswald Chambers said he came to some point in his life where he realized he needed to fear God or fear everything else. And basically, whatever you think about God, like at least he's always there. And if you understand, even though he's some, sometimes sort of terrifying, if you get to know who God is, you understand that you can trust him and that he's strong and he's merciful and he's kind and he's compassionate and he never fails and he will get you through whatever it is that you're going through. It just doesn't always look like you think it's going to look like. So Asaph is here and he's in this huge pity party and he makes a choice. He takes action because hope is a verb and the action that he takes here is memory. But then I recall but then I recall all you have done. And at the end of the day, he comes down to understanding this. God is the only choice. There's nobody like him. And if I don't have him, I got nothing. But I do have him. I can trust him. So that's the first one. The verb, the action of choosing to remember. Now let's go to Psalm 143. Here's David. Let me read you this one. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial, for no one is innocent before you. My enemy had chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. 
I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. It's pretty bad, right? So David, he's basically saying, I'm losing hope. I'm, I am actually out of hope. I'm done for. I'm paralyzed with fear. I'm stuck. I'm stuck on the beach and the guns are zeroing in on me. And look what happens next. Verse five. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works. I think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me for my depression deepens. He's not out of it yet, right? He's still in the middle of this. Come quickly, Lord, answer me for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk for I give myself to you. Go through this with me and look at all the verb stuff here. Look at all the action words. So David is in the midst of all this despair. He's despondent. He even comes to the point where he says out loud, I'm losing hope. I'm, I'm done for, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm paralyzed with fear. But then, just like on the beach with Private Ryan, he waves himself forward. I remember. I ponder. I think about. I lift my hands. I hear, for I am trusting you. I give myself to you. You see all that action? There's movement in there. There's memory. I'm going back. I'm thinking about other times when I felt the same way, when I've given up hope, when everything seemed to be lost, but somehow you helped me get through it. I remember there's a huge amount of power in memory, not not in going back and looking at all the mistakes, looking back at all the fear, looking back at all the shame, not that, remembering the fact that whatever you felt in times past, somehow God got you through it. He made it possible for you to survive it. So memory, pondering, thinking about, and then action, movement. I lift my hands to you. Let me hear you. I'm trying to hear you, God. I'm trusting you. I give myself to you. There's all that action in there. You see that? So we see Asaph using memory. We see David using memory and movement because hope, my friend, is a verb. It's an action word. It's not passive. Now, my favorite is Jeremiah. In Lamentations chapter 3, and I should say we think this is Jeremiah. There's... um, the, the author of the book of Lamentations is not actually identified in the Bible. It doesn't say that it's Jeremiah. But based on the style of writing, there's actually a, a slang term called Jeremiad. When somebody's a, a down-in-the-mouth uh, negative thinker, somebody always is complaining and looking at the bad side of things, That there's a in the old days they used to say that's sort of a Jeremiad or Jeremiah-like behavior pattern because Jeremiah in his book is so negative a lot of the times, which is funny because he's also the guy that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you in Jeremiah 29. But Jeremiah focuses kind of towards the negative. So when Lamentations is happening, the style of writing is so Jeremiad, if you will, that people think it's probably Jeremiah. So check him out in Lamentations chapter 3. This huge, colossal, massive pity party that Jeremiah's throwing. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. you imagine that being so <laughs> egocentric that you're actually willing to write down that you're the only person who understands how bad off you can be when God's mad at you? He says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness. 
shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again. All day long he has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. Imagine the the violin playing with the pity party here. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. Man, he's really landed on thick here. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden me like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He has shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I hoped for from the Lord is lost. I can hear in in Jeremiah here, if it's Jeremiah, I can hear when people say things like, why does everything have to be so hard all the time? Why does nothing in my life work out? Why do I have to be in this situation? Why does God always do this to me? Why is everything so hard? Why, why, why? Right? That's where he is right now. He's in this place. Peace has been stripped away from me, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Now, I'm not making fun of it. There's a bad situation. You read the, the context of Lamentations here and what's going on. This is a bad situation. The people are really in trouble. So I'm not making fun of Jeremiah. I'm just saying this is a pity party. This is not what you do if you want to feel better. He gets down to where he basically says this. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But 21 is where it moves. This is where the verb comes in. This is where hope happens right here. Pay attention. So he just gets through, just out of his mouth is, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And here we go, verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Another translation says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Do you see that movement You see that power? He's buried in sorrow. He's buried in hopelessness. It's all dark. It's all lost. Why is my life so hard? Why is everything working out the way it does? Why doesn't things, why don't things ever work out for me? Why does everything have to feel so bad? Yet I dare to hope. Yet I still dare to hope. That is a verb, friend, and that is the superpower of how to deal with hopelessness and despair in your life. You choose. There's movement there. There's memory there. There's power in action. You've got to get off the beach. Now he goes on. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, 
to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies, for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. So catch what's happening here. The first half is pity party. It's catastrophization. It's all is lost. Everything is bad. And the second part, after he dares to hope, is to understand the different types of movement and action that you can take if you want to feel hopeful. And he reminds us, it's good to depend on God. It's good to search for God. It's good to wait for God. It's good to submit to God. It's good to accept his discipline. It's good to sit with God and listen to what he has to say. It's good to lie down and let the Lord give you hope at last. So understand, sometimes, Jeremiah is saying, the right answer is actually to be still. But that is an action that you're taking. It's a calm down. Sometimes you have to call yourself out. You have to stop the, the crazy train. Lisa and I used to do that once in a while. If one of us was kind of getting a little bit negative, the other one would say, hey, time out. Let's pray right now. Just stop. Stop and pray. We're going to work through this. And we would get to where we, we can let God come back into that moment. And that's what Jeremiah's doing right here. He's saying, I'm lost. I give up. All is lost, but I'm going to dare to hope anyway. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to depend on him. I'm going to search for him. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to sit and listen to him. I'm going to lie and let him remind me that there can still be hope at last. And when negative things are happening, when people are attacking me, I'm going to sometimes have the strength to turn the other cheek and let God handle the situation because I'm not strong enough to handle it myself. And down in verse 31, he reminds himself and all of us at the end, for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Here's the deal. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible to remind us that life's going to be hard, friend. John 16, 33, life is hard and you're going to have trouble and you better be ready. That's my paraphrase of it. But when things do get hard, when hopelessness arises, you have to remember that you're not a victim to it, that the only way through hopeless, hopelessness is to choose hope, to actually engage the verb, the action muscle of hope, and the tools to, with which to do that are movement and memory. Look at First Peter 5, 7, when he's talking about anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast, throw toss, move. He's saying, do something to get rid of your anxiety. Give it to God. Actively cast it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Move. He's saying, come to me. Bring it to me. Cast it on me. Let me have it. I'm bigger than you. Psalm fifty five twenty two. cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. There's action here. There's not passivity, there's not weakness, there's strength. You're taking action when you feel hopeless. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling lost, take action, pray. 
bring thanksgiving to me. Make yourself be thankful. Go through the mental exercise of saying, time out, stop. I'm going to engage hope. I'm going to dare to hope here. And then God's peace will guard you. And one more I'm going to leave you with today, Psalm 4610. Another choice, just like Jeremiah just said, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes the action is to be still. Sometimes it's to engage Proverbs seventeen twenty seven and bridle our tongue. It's to bridle our brains and say, time out. I need to stop. I need to listen. I need to lie face down and let God mentor me for a minute. It's time to take action, and sometimes that action is to be still because sometimes we get off and we tear off into a run like a scared horse. We're, we're terrified and we're hopeless and we just run away, right? And God says, calm down, bridle your brain, be still and know that I am God. That's how you show that you're wise. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven and 28, an understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. And one more thing I'm going to talk about for just a second. And we don't talk about sin very often anymore. You know, we don't. We're in this kind of world where nobody ever wants to be offended or offend anybody. And we talk about grace a lot more than we do about sin. But sometimes one of the problems we're having when we're facing hopelessness is that we're engaging in activities that make us more hopeless. Psalm 19 it talks about presumptuous sin. The psalmist says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from presumptuous, deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we're not going to have a big theological conversation about sin and things we should and shouldn't do here because uh, you need to talk to your pastor about that. But but here's something I want you to just understand. When you don't know what to do, when you're feeling hopeless and you're wondering where God is, here's what not to do. Don't ask why God seems so distant and then keep doing things that he tells us in his word will make us more distant from him. Don't say, God, I can't find you, and then look for him in places where he's told you he will not go. Does that make sense? Don't ask God why he won't stop letting it be so hard, and then keep doing things that he's told you will make it hard. Because he's given us a whole list of things. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't drink too much, don't gamble, don't spend money frivolously, don't fail to worship me, don't fail to com- to get in community with other people who can help you. Don't do all those things because they make your life harder. So don't rail at God and, and, and shake your fist at him and say, why is everything so hard? And then keep doing the things that he's told you will make it harder, right? That's why the psalmist, again, in, in Psalm 19 says, Guard my heart. Keep me from deliberate sin. Don't let them control me. Cleanse me from these hidden faults, right? So the, it's one thing to have a problem, some kind of behavior issue that you got to work out. But another thing is just to willfully continue to do things that you know are not in God's will because those make things harder. We're talking about trying to be happier, right? And the irony of happiness is that the freedom to choose to obey him actually produces greater freedom and greater peace in our life than when we think we have freedom to engage in whatever we want to engage in because his freedom is better than ours. Proverbs fifteen fifteen says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, 
But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Friend, you get to decide that. You don't get to decide what circumstances come along in your life necessarily. There's some things that can happen. Hank's wife has a brain tumor. Our son died. You can't choose those things sometimes not to happen. But when they do happen, you get to decide what happens next. Do they steal your hope? Do they paralyze you with fear? Do they plunge you into bitter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Or do you get to somehow find the ability to have peace of mind and an enjoyable quality of life, regardless of how many days you get to live or how those days play out? If you're focused on what's happening to you, you can't see what God is trying to do through you. And if you're feeling hopeless because of the things that are happening to you, if you want to see where God wants to take you in that, you've got to engage the muscle of hope, the verb, the action word of movement and memory. Do you see the choice? We're fighting for hope here, friend. We're not going to give in to life's troubles to the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. We want to engage with the one who came to give us abundant life. I want you to be like my friend Hank's wife with the smile and the thumbs up in the face of her brain cancer because her God is bigger than the threat. It can't take her peace of mind, even if it does take her life. We're praying that it won't, but she's not going to let it take her peace of mind. You can see it in her face. She's determined to not lose hope. We're engaging the verb of hope here, the movement and the memory and the action. We're on the beach. The enemy's fire is withering in its move or die, and you get to choose. And I want you, I pray, I beg that you will choose hope, friend. Fight for hope. Fight for abundance no matter what the circumstance. There's no passivity here. There's no quitting. Even when the movement that we need to make is to stop moving and be still and let God handle it, that choice is an action that empowers us to let God's hope reign in our hearts. It's worth the fight. This is self-brain surgery in all of its essence. This is biblical. It's consistent with neuroscience. It's good self-care. This will help you fight for hope. And start fighting today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.
Jesus were abandoning him. So he looked to his disciples and he asked them, Are all of you going to leave me as well? Peter said, But Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal love. And though this story happened many years ago, in this moment, the very personhood of Jesus is the answer for our lives today. 